have a collect call from an inmate at the Washington Correctional Center. To accept the call, press 5. There's nothing like waking up to the sound of clacking and buzzing as the doors crack in the morning after count clears. Waking up to the reality of life in prison. For some, it is just a stop along their journey, a milepost, an experience. For others, it is a revolving door, in and out, in and out, and that's their way of life, stuck in the cycle, pulling and eating away at them. And then for some, it becomes their destination as the hammer came down and that judge issued them a death sentence. The slow way, by way of life in prison. This is the life of a lifer by Taylor Conley. I apologize. The the phone ended up running its duration. I didn't uh, know if you guys need anything else from me or. Yes, we'd like to have hear more from you. Yeah, tell me. Uh... I, I want to say if we were talking about scared uh, straight. We were talking about children and uh, you know young people needing to be able to have their voices heard. And scared straight, as you said, scared straight isn't really the uh, the answer to anything. It's uh, throwing fear into into these kids, which is maybe they need to know that there is some fear to ending up in prison. But at the same time, they need to have a voice. There's a lot of a lot of kids out there who are angry because they don't have parents, or they're angry because they're targeted every time they go out their, their front door. But the thing yeah. is, uh, one of the one of the things is we want to see these we want to see these young people have some and and I notice a lot of times even in a situation where a, a loved one is, gets incarcerated there's the family's going through so much that they end up they end up finding skills themselves in their own being they write books themselves about the pain that they went through when their loved one went to prison Th those in prison are writing books and doing poetry and and drawings like uh Taylor and Con uh uh uh, Cecilia are doing with the with design conviction. These are these are uh, the feelings are coming out that they're opening up. Prisoners are opening up, and I think it's wonderful what they're doing with this design conviction, and also what they're doing in, in bringing in prisoners to to have a voice. So there's a lot of things that, uh, I really really want you to talk about, Paul, because so many people that have not been in prison, that have not had loved ones in prison, there's so much that they need to know. And a lot is coming out now about the beatings that go on in the prisons. There's, now that videos are out there, uh, they're showing a lot of even law enforcement that are committing crimes and going to prison, which is something that never happened before, but more of it's starting to happen now. But uh, actually, Absolutely. for as I said, for for people that are in prison, they they've already suffered enough. They've really suffered enough, and that's why it's so imperative that we get the word out to people exactly what causes their crime. And like you say, a lot of it is, is getting in with other other people like yourselves that are going through the same thing, the frustration, the, the pain that you're, you're all feeling internally and not having anywhere to, to vent except around 
others, and sometimes it gets carried away. I know for a fact, as far as alcoholism, as far as drug addictions, that a lot of people that they get themselves involved with drugs or even alcohol, a lot of them are trying to cover up pain, and that's their way of doing it. Others may lift weights, others may jog, but the majority of people that are involved with drugs and alcohol are people that are trying to cover up pain. And unfortunately, things come out of those addictions. Negative things happen. But it doesn't mean that the prisoner or prisoners are bad. Yeah, that's uh you know, that's a good point. Because I, I know when I first came into the penitentiary, you know, I didn't, I didn't believe in myself. And I had never, I, I even remember like my first couple of weeks in prison, I remember writing a letter home and telling my family that I don't think there's ever, ever been a moment that I've done something to make you proud of me. And I, uh, I had never created a relationship with my family. And I, I think with that absence of purpose, like you're just destined to float around and do anything. And I think part of my transformation has has definitely been restoring those relationships with my own family. And then once I was able to work on myself, then I was able to help other people. And that's where it lies now. You've reached that point. And even though it seems endless, it seems helpless and hopeless now, it's not. You know, I believe in God, and I believe he has a reason for the things that you go through. And I and I believe in miracles, and I believe someday you will be out and you will be doing a lot to help others or to prevent others from making the same mistakes. And right now, prison reform is a major issue in this country because of the mass incarceration. So there are a lot of politicians that are actually coming together to sponsor some bills. To try to to try to do away with life without parole in these long lengthy ser- service uh, serving times. I, lo- so hope- I love hopefully that they're 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 given us that level of hope, but I I think that that men shouldn't generally expect you know this like kind of a everybody should get out of prison. It, People need to change. Like, you you can't come in the same and leave the same. Like, that's not... No. The decisions that you were making out there is what brought you in here, and if you haven't changed a bit, you're going to continue making the same decisions. They need to put more money into programs. And I know prisoners, I know a lot of prisoners who are trying to do those programs and are being denied. I know a lot of prisoners that are trying to do the right thing in prison and they're being denied. They're being targeted. You know, they're being provoked, harassed. They're being tortured, tormented. They're doing all the things to these prisoners who are basically trying to do something with their lives while inside to prevent them from doing their rehabilitation, from, from doing anything. And that's why I am so strongly against prisons because I don't believe prisons are helping at all in healing and, and re- re- repenting. I think that they're just making people worse than, than helping them. And sometimes it takes, unless you're strongly willed to do other things like drawings, writing books, those are the things that, and I mentioned that to one of the other prisoners, 
it seems like all of you are repenting or rehabilitating yourselves. And I don't credit the Department of Corrections. I credit, credit, I credit you and all other prisoners that are making your own way to try to help yourselves. I love that. I, uh, it's really interesting because I re- that, that was the general conversation prior to the creation of, of redemption was that there's nothing available for us. The opportunities are denied to us. There's so many roadblocks to self and personal change that there's no opportunity. And we were so frustrated that we've seen this, this kind of vacuum of necessity that was essentially denied all of us. And, but our, our eyes were open because we were so busy pointing at what DOC should be doing that we didn't realize how much power we had as, as men of conviction to make changes ourselves. And collectively, I, I think there was only like four of us in, in a laundry room talking about it. And we, we decided that we were going to start writing our own programs and start teaching our own classes. And predicated on that conversation, I think we've probably written 10 different classes and we've, we've participated over the last decade in, in upwards of to five to seven thousand different people that have been impacted by these programs that weren't written and implemented by the state, but they were written and implemented by the inmates themselves. It is awesome. It is really, really awesome. Now, do you do you plan on writing any books, or or have you started writing any books? Uh, a majority of my focus has been writing, designing, and implementing the, the programs and the classes that we do within the facilities because my my ultimate credo is to get back to my community and help the men that need the help. And okay. I would love to have write a con- book. I, I wish have you considered I have you considered uh forming a a five oh one C three in prison? Because I understand you can. They actually have, in Massachusetts, they have a lifers group, and I believe it's a 501c3 that they have. That's interesting. I, it's interesting that you bring it up because I just spent this week contemplating starting my own 501c3, and it was, uh, it was predicated on a conversation. So you're familiar with, uh, like some of the statistics where they were talking about how in California the the prisons that they were building were outpacing the universities that they were building over about a 15-year period. Like they built more prisons than universities. There's and a lot of uh, a lot of things going on in, in California. There's a lot of advocates uh, actually that are out in California. They're doing a lot of good, especially now with the new um, the governor out there. I understand that things are improving somewhat since um, Governor Brown was there. But um, uh, I'm not familiar with what you were just mentioning, though. So uh, what I wanted to say was at one point in time they were basing projected prison growth on fourth-grade standardized scores. So they were just looking at the, like, the performances of kids in in that basic level of school and determining, you know, the likelihood of that they're going to be needing to be building X amount of beds in that state. 
And I mm. I was really floored, like, the first time, because I'm familiar with the, the school-to-prison pipeline, but I, I didn't know how much school performance really ended up playing into uh, prison populations later on. And I, uh, I stumbled across this study, and essentially what it was was a, it was a Harvard economist that was looking at monetary incentives and how it could affect uh, school performance. And what he did is he went to this Dallas school and he went to a, a group of second graders and they did a control group and a test group so they could see if it was measurable. And what he did is he offered the kids a dollar a book that they read. And like it, it seems really simple, but what ended up happening is the the reading comprehension scores for those kids that were offered a dollar a book that they read skyrocketed compared to the the control group. And what was was really interesting is after they removed the incentive, moving on into the third grade, those kids those kids still had a passion for learning and education, and those results continued to multiply exponentially through the years in school. And the reason why I was bringing up, you know, prison po population being kind of judged on fourth grade test scores is I realized that, like, we're looking at the problem as being analyzed in the fourth grade, but I think that the solution lies in the second grade. Like, if we created an opportunity within our school systems to where, you know, this, this dollar a book program was something that we could implement, I, I think that we could transform communities and that it's uh, – it's such a simple answer, but it's it's lost on, you know, people's activity because everybody's like, well, we should give the teachers raises. We should pay the teachers more. The teachers aren't being paid enough. And my, my attitude is the teachers aren't doing a good job with what they're getting paid right now. Then if we end up paying them more, they're going to do the same job that they're doing. Like they're not holding mm -hmm. back on good education. And when I when you asked me about the 501c3, I, I kind of see like a, a direction of uh, – a small corporation that's just called pay to read that creates opportunities for, you know, especially lower economic school districts where we start creating opportunities where we offer a program that's self-funded that gives children in the second grade an opportunity to find a love for reading and education because I think education saves us. Exactly. Exactly. There's there's so many groups out there in the communities now that if you if you do form anything like that to connect with from the inside out, um, have yeah. these these groups like it's like design conviction. Then also I I interviewed a few times Stephen Bobo, who was a correction officer, who ended up selling bringing drugs into the the, the prisons to have it sold, and he ended up getting caught and served time in prison. And now he's out, and he's he's advocating for the uh, school-to-prison pipeline. He's advocating for the young people to try to prevent them from, you know, making the same mistakes and, and getting into trouble. And he's getting a lot of the volunteers, people on uh, Facebook and everywhere, that are getting interested in what he's doing. And hopefully maybe you could, you know, all of you could connect with, with his group and with uh, Taylor and, and Cecilia's group and, and just try to expand on it, make it a national thing, because it's a national Absolutely. problem. It really is a national problem. And yeah, the funding would be there. I believe the funding would be there because 
with the 501c3 uh, addressing those issues, which is a major problem in this country, I believe that a lot of these, uh, these the funding would be, they would be quick to give it to you. And, uh, like, I have a 501c4, which doesn't allow because it's a, uh, my organization is a uh, 501c4, gives flexibility to, to campaign for politicians who are for the cause. Whereas what okay. you're doing, it would be it would be helping others, so that the the uh, the monies would be going into programs, you know, whatever kind of programs that you're trying to put together to to work with these these adolescents, these young people, preventative work. Yeah, it's definitely uh, prevention by early intervention. I know that's exactly. uh, one of our one of our credos that we've lived by, and we've lived by. Proper direction leads to proper action, and that's kind of our attitude towards all the different programs that are developed within the penitentiary. Yeah, there's there's a lot there's a lot that needs to be done, and like I say, with with these kids today, they're trying to prevent. It's a prevention thing, and I think you could getting together. You know, one of the things is I I started an organization 2004. I stepped down in 2014. And I, I started it up again, but only for Massachusetts, for lifers. But I started it in 2004. And one thing, we registered the organization with every university, all the universities nationwide. And we got volunteers in the criminal justice system. We got pro bonos. We got paralegals. We got social workers, psychologists. These were all students wanting to do their internships. We networked with advocates across the country. And I still do, even though I don't have the organization as I had it before. We still network. We have people that we know in all the states that are advocating, that are doing some kind of advocacy work for prisoners. So starting something like that, registering with all the, the Bureau of Prisons, registering with the universities for volunteers, doing all these things, you're working with those on the outside. You'll feel like you're on the outside. They'll feel that they're on the inside. And so you'll be getting to know both sides and working together to feel, figure out ways of uniting in ways to prevent these kids from messing up. Hey, I didn't even get an opportunity to tell you about some of the innovations that we were doing here that that had really started here and nowhere else in the country. And what is it? So, uh, like I, I told you that we ended up developing and writing classes to teach to the population. And after... Mm -hmm you know, kind of building on our relationship with administration. Uh, there was like a, a kind of a really tentative conversation where they asked us if we'd be willing to go into the supermaxes where some of the state's most dangerous inmates were. And like at that stage, stage of incarceration, like those guys are really only allowed out of the house maybe an hour a day. Uh, when they come out of the house, they're always in handcuffs and shackles. Um, it's, you know, to a lot of people it was really scary, but to some of us, like, we remember what it was like being down there. And so when I when I talk about, you know, some of our first is the one that I took the most amount of pride in is our IME program, and that's where we were peer educators to, that went down into the isolation center, and we taught classes with the state's most dangerous inmates, and some of them were deemed unteachable or unchangeable you know, terms that I've been um, accustomed to hearing about myself. And it was it was really strange to be in the situation. 
and I wonder how much I heard those things in the beginning of my sentence so I could understand how untrue they were. And while I was apprehensive about going down there, what I found was that men were hungry for interaction, that they were what other people assumed for them to be. They were intelligent, driven, motivated for self-change, and while many of them had written off or been written off throughout the course of their lives, they still had good within them. And while working with them in the IMU, I realized that humanity lives in all... You have 60 seconds remaining. And sometimes all it takes is one person to care or believe. People in maximum secure prisons, a lot of them are in there because they don't want to leave, because they have their single-cell status. A lot of them don't right. want to be double-celled. A lot of them are educated. There's people in there that have been very well-educated but yet they're being considered uh, very, very dangerous because of many different things. But again, we're going to run out of time, so again, I'm going to ask you at some point in time, and when Cecilia brings others on at the end, we're just going to rotate, and we're going to bring you back again, if you don't mind, because there's so much you have to offer. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to talk to you again. Okay, we would love to have you. And it's, this is going to be a long, an ongoing episode of prisoners speaking out. And I think it's excellent because this is something that's been needed for a long, long time. So-